Welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, LLC. Discussing your life as a medical coder, offering coding tips and advice for coding students and professionals. Join us every Monday. Hello, and welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series. My name is Jennifer McNamara, and our program is brought to you from your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, LLC. And our goal is to bring you timely industry topics in the field of health information management, as well as tips for work-life balance. If you're a first-time listener, we thank you for listening today. And if you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We can be found on Podbean, Apple, and now iHeartRadio. We do have a disclaimer that our podcasts are not to be taken as legal or professional advice. They're based on our years of experience in the coding and billing industry, and we want to share with you what we've learned and why we love this industry. Today is Monday, May 3rd, 2021. We've made it to May. We're almost into summer. I'm so excited. Uh, so hopefully you're enjoying the beautiful weather where you are. Maybe you're getting some rain. I don't know. We got we got some serious flooding here in Arkansas recently, and so it's uh, it's been quite quite the back and forth here. And one of the things I wanted to talk about before we get started today was I wanted to announce we're so excited and, and starting in May on Wednesdays, we have a new podcast uh, hosted by our uh, our teammate, my partner in crime, Angel Kendall, and she is going to be talking um, with her podcast, Life as a Coding Instructor. So as a certified coding instructor as as well, uh, she will be talking uh, mostly to help you other coding instructors learn tips that you can use that we felt, of course, have found effective in teaching our students. Um, how to be effective in passing their exams. It's also going to be helpful for you students to listen. And then as well as you, uh, of course, coders, you're always going to pick up some new tip, right? Something maybe you didn't remember from before. It's going to help you on your job. So it's good for everyone to listen. Um, There's always going to be helpful information um, brought to you in these podcasts. So today we're going to talk about compliance and we're going to focus on compliance in the month of May. We will have several webinars um, coming at you. Uh, that you can purchase and get CEUs for. But for those of you who just need a little bit and you don't have a lot of time, you can jump on our podcast and just learn a little bit about compliance this month. So today we're going to talk about uh, compliance with your physician, talking compliance with your physician. And so we want to think about, okay, first of all, for those of you who are new to this uh, healthcare arena, maybe not sure what compliance is, or maybe you're learning about it. Healthcare compliance is just a general name, right, that we talk about anything we're doing to prevent fraud, waste, or abuse within the healthcare community. Um, Most uh, facilities, and everyone should know this now, everyone needs to have a compliance program. And we're going to talk later in the month, um, another podcast dedicated to a a successful compliance program. So today we just want to talk about how we can talk about this with our physician, encourage them. Now, I have worked in the past with a physician When I got into that practice as their revenue cycle manager, they did not have a compliance program and I was floored. I just didn't think a provider's office with this much uh, experience in healthcare, I'd been around this long, had not had a compliance officer, someone designated for that. That's one of the, the main things you have to have, right? But in order to establish this for your physician to understand the importance of it, I think that was what was missing. Um, they never really understood the importance of it or the ramifications of not having one. Uh, so create a culture where all of the, the individuals involved in the healthcare uh, in that clinic or facility understand their role, uh, whether it's a physician, whether it's a nurse, a medical assistant, 
lab techs, receptionists, those do coding and billing, your office managers, everyone has a role in making sure that compliance works. So there are so many regulations, so many laws, right? So it's it can be overwhelming for physicians to really dig in and understand it. Um, so we want to make sure we have someone in place that can clearly identify those things for the physicians. We do have to have that annual compliance training. Everyone signs off on it, right? Um, and there is so much information out there. There are companies you can hire that come in and provide training and give you constant updates, um, things to keep you educated annually, which most facilities, they do provide that for their employees, what we call them in-services, right? And so those have to be um you know, completed by uh, your staff um, or it's it can be an issue with employment, right? I know my our compliance team at the hospital, we have to do our annual compliance training. If we don't do it by a certain date, our jobs are at risk. We could be fired. We could be let go. So it's really, really important. Now, with the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, Section 6401, it did mandate that providers put a compliance plan in place but enforcement date hasn't been issued. Uh, we want to make sure that we do it in a reasonable amount of time, right? So it is it is something that they mandate that providers do. So we want to make sure that we are complying with that. Uh, with the enforcement of that, um, you know, we this went into effect in 2010. So we've, we've several years now we've been aware of this Affordable Care Act. Uh, we had a lot of time to prepare for this, a lot of time to get training in place, get annual compliance programs in place. And then all we have to do is just update them annually as needed. Uh, recently, I went to a compliance training at HealthCon in Dallas. And one of the thing, points I loved was the fact that everyone in the clinic, they don't always have the same role. So what you do for compliance for one person may not be what the other person needs. So when you're training your physicians, there are things that they need to be aware of. They still have to understand those laws, but maybe you can find a way, right, to make sure that they understand all the aspects of, of that, understand the, the fines, the penalties, what happens with den denials of claims, possible losses of revenue, even imprisonment. They need to understand the, the scary stuff, right, those laws and breaking those laws, how that can affect them personally, affect their business, affect their livelihood, affect their employees and their patients. It's really important. So uh, we want to make sure we understand all of those those things until we can explain it to them, right? One of the things I wanted to point out that I just love is, you know, we have to be tested in some of these coding exams. Maybe we've heard of the, of the organization, the OIG, which is the Office of Inspector General um, from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And so I encourage you to visit this, this link here. I'm going to put it in our show notes, but I want to re read it out to you. You can go there. It's the oig.hhs.gov-compliance-physician-education. That's oig.hhs.gov-compliance-physician-education. And this is a roadmap for physicians how to avoid Medicare and Medicaid fraud and abuse. Now, these laws, of course, should be should be implemented for all, all insurance companies, but especially for our government payers. It gives so much helpful information to train our clinics, our physicians. There is a roadmap for them, and it's a booklet designed just for them so they can see some of these case examples of other physicians who have violated these laws and what has happened to them, right? And then we see um, that companion PowerPoint presentation that they encourage you to use to teach that 
to your physicians. You know, some of them don't like to read, right? That's too much for them to read. Maybe they'll glance through it. But if you can sit down and have a meeting, have a, a session, uh, there's also speaker notes, which I love. And so I plan on using this with my clinics um, that I that I provide this for um, and my, my, my training for my staff as well. It's going to be a great way to, to teach them, right? Um, and so if your physicians can't attend this live, you know, it's a great way to construct a program, maybe record it. Um, and then provide it to them so they can watch it and make sure they sign off if they watched it. It's a great way to provide that annual training so they can have that, these materials. Now, it does cover, you know, all of those laws that are so, you know, complicated, but we want to learn, right, how to explain these laws to them in simple terms. We have the False Claims Act, the anti, you know, kickback law. Uh, we have the uh, Stark law. We have the Civil Monetary Penalties law. And all of these things, of course, are things we're tested on on our exams. I, I tell you, I've taken so many coding exams over the years, seven or eight of them now. And I remember a, a year or so ago when I, at the end of 2019, I think, I took my CRC, my risk adjustment credential exam. And so now I remember that they had a whole section on that. And then I took my CPMA this year. Uh, again, I was tested significantly on audit laws, um, you know, different kinds of audits, and of course, compliance, HIPAA, all these laws. And then, of course, I just took my CCS, my Certified Coding Specialist exam through AHIMA, AHIMA, the American Health Information Management Association. And again, they tested you on compliance. It was a computer-based exam and, uh, you know, sprinkled throughout the exam, within all those coding questions, I had a compliance question. In this scenario, what law would this apply to? And I had to remember. So that's why it's so important, not only for us as coders, um, for physicians, everyone needs to be aware of these laws and maybe not know them in and out necessarily, but at least how to identify uh, the elements because we want to avoid breaking these laws, right? So that's what I recommend. And uh, if you are taking an exam, I do recommend that in your book somewhere, you make brief notes on some of the key elements of these, these laws. Um, because you will be tested on them. So I want to make sure everyone understands that part of the exams can be overwhelming because you're trying to remember everything and all of them maybe sound similar. <laughs> um, some of these laws sound so similar and you're like, okay, um, this one goes here, this one goes here, and it can be really overwhelming. So the OAG has offered this because they really want to help physicians be compliant um, and always check back um, for updates. You know, you always want to check the website, look for, for blogs um, or, you know, even your MLN articles, get get those for Medicare and the Medical Learning Network. Um, get those sent to your email regularly so you can keep up to date with updates to laws, um, different things that come out um, because it's really important. Um, on the OIG's website, you have reports and publications. You have a whole tab just on fraud. You have a tab on compliance, all of exclusions, all of these things. There's so much on the OIG's website that it can be overwhelming, but it's a great site to just have bookmarked in your computer so you can gradually just, you know, research and get to know. And if, if you're a compliance officer or you are trying to nominate someone in your clinic to be the compliance officer, you can lead them to this website to really do their research and get to know um, all, all the ins and outs of compliance, right? So we want to talk about some of these laws because, you know, it can be overwhelming to explain them. So we want to give you the law itself and then talk about example, right? So the False Claims Act, FCA, will impose 
civil liability if someone knowingly submits or causes the submission of a false or fraudulent claim. This would affect your billing and coding staff, right? And also your providers, because maybe they don't have a coder or biller or the biller or coder is just sending out what the doctor puts in there. Maybe they're occasionally checking a diagnosis code, but all parties need to know and have actual, if, so if they know and actually um, intended to submit this information recklessly um, and disregarding, you know, the documentation and it's clear that that was done, then they could be at risk for this. So Example, a physician who bills for patient services when the patient was not seen. I will tell you this has happened. I've listened to other podcasts on physicians who have done this. And it's a scary thought to think that, you know, a lot of patients out there that, you know, some of the older community, you know, the elderly community, they don't have that background in healthcare. They don't know a lot of times if they don't always check their claims or regularly, right? They get a bill from the insurance and they see so many doctors, right? So they just assume, yeah, it's right. But maybe it's a physician who is like, oh, they won't, they won't check. So they're going to bill a data service they weren't even seen on. Um, you know, providers out there, you know, they go to jail every day for things like this. So it's important that we understand to educate them. You know, we we would trust our physicians, right? We want to have that trust that we know our physician is not that type of person, right? They wouldn't do that, but they need to know the consequences, right? And this is very serious and that, that, that there could be uh, civil you know, penalties, maybe jail time. Um, the anti-kickback statute. Um, it's a crime to knowingly and willfully offer, uh, maybe solicit or receive any reimbursement or any you know, benefit um, from patient referrals. Um, and any item that's um, or service that's reimbursable by a federal health care program. So maybe a medical office gets gift certificates for a coffee shop to patients who, who bring refer other patients to them. I mean, that seems kind of, kind of, you know, clear cut, you know, back in the day when we used to have drug reps come in and, and bring us food, right? Uh, I don't know if any of you worked in offices. I remember those days. It was so fun, right? But then, you know, in 2010, when the Affordable Care Act came in, the compliance program started to get more serious. Even before that, it started to trickle and we, the compliance officer started to come in and be like, okay, that's not cool. And so you, then we had to actually get approval. We had to go list by list. They had a checklist and they had to come to you and you, you had to tell them everything about why that drug record was coming in, what they were going to talk about, um, and all of these different things, because it could be construed as, you know, um, you know, getting a kickback, right, for providing services. Um, you know, or maybe it's just using their drug, right? And so it's really important that we understand, you know, all of these ins and outs, what we could be benefiting from if it's illegal, right? Now, um, the physician self-referral law, the Stark law, um, this prohibits a physician from referring patients to receive um, designated health services payable by Medicare from someone that they have a, maybe like immediate family member relationship or a, another like mutually exclusive benefit, right? From another physician, maybe, or maybe you own a pharmacy. Um, there are some physicians who own other types of facilities, maybe a massage parlor or something, or um, a physical therapy office. Maybe they have a clinic and they own another type of facility, right? And they're only going to write prescriptions uh, for their Medicare patients. And they have to go to that pharmacy or they have to go to that place. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to write the prescription. I mean, that's a mutually exclusive, that's a relationship that you have with something that you own, you're getting personal benefit from it. 
So watch that as well. So when you're explaining these to your physicians, think of examples for them. Think of, okay, if I'm going to explain what this law is, how they can avoid breaking this law, what is an example of something that we would want to avoid, right? And then we have the famous HIPAA law, Privacy and Security, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996. This requires the Health and Human Services Secretary to have these regulations put in place. And so we have to understand the privacy rule, the standards of privacy for individual health information, the protected health information, PHI, what is that? So we have to know all of those things. Now, I highly recommend that you educate your physicians, you know, every year on this, right? There are things that we need to understand when it comes to, um, you know, HIPAA. And um, there are, you know, other things that come into play that are part of HIPAA. One of the things I want to point out, some people don't realize, is the use of social media. And some physicians are on it. We have phones. Maybe your physician, you know, um, communicates on social media. Maybe you have like a Facebook page and um, your patients will, you know, go on there or they'll review you right on your Facebook page. That's fine. That's that's them going on there. You know, they're identifying themselves. You know, they reviewing you, right? That's fine. But when you release protected health information on social media, maybe you're a staff member and you're just after work and you're like, oh yeah, this patient, blah, 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 blah. You don't leave a name, right? You don't, you don't identify them by name or their date of birth or their social security number, right? But let's say, for instance, there was a huge accident or some well-known person on the news, something happened from a medical nature and you don't give the name, but you give enough details where it's pretty clear who you're talking about. That is a HIPAA violation. It can be construed as that. Even if no disclosure of PHI is intentional, it's still a violation. Of course, we want to avoid uh, posting photos or anything that could identify them. Check your privacy settings. They can change. Always check your your, HIPAA, your uh, social media privacy and everything like that. Um, and this is a good point from this article I read. Never post anything that you would be uncomfortable reading in the newspaper. That would test it, right? Would you be uncomfortable reading this if someone else posted it, right? Um, there have been people, and there's been specific examples, people have been in trouble, you know, celebrities like Britney Spears, George Clooney, they have worked in a facility where they were seen and their information was released and photos and different things. And it's really important. You can lose your job over it. You could even go to jail. So be very, very careful. Um, there have been physicians who have, uh, and employees who have, you know, done these things and have lost their job and had to go to jail. So um, in that roadmap I mentioned, uh, there were some case examples of things that happened. So there was a physician group practice that was paid. Um, they paid the government a million dollars and entered into a five-year corporate integrity agreement to settle these violations of the um, the anti-kickback statute and the, the False Claims Act, Stark Law, all of these things. Um, and so they had to go into this agreement. And then another thing was... A two orthopedic surgeons had to pay $450,000 and another $250,000 to settle allegations related to improper medical dic uh, directorships with a company that operated a diagnostic imaging center. So they were getting that kickback, right? Or they were getting that, um, you know, relationship benefit. So these things do happen and we want to be aware of that. Um, now, 
when it comes to, um, you know, maybe things that we see like with medical devices, there was an orthopedic device manufacturer that had to pay $311 million, that's a lot of money, to settle a kickback and a false claims accusation um, that they were bribing surgeons to recommend their hip and knee implants. So many, so many variables here, right? In the healthcare industry, in the clinics, the hospitals, we come into contact with so many different people, right? Different relationships. I work in the orthopedic field. So this example really hit me because we do have these companies who provide these implants. And so they come in, right? And they provide education for us on billing and reimbursement, show us how these devices work, you know, and everything. The hospital is going to say, okay, this is what we're going to go with based on what we want to pay for and all of that. But when we're thinking about how we get reimbursement, like, are we being bribed? Are we getting gifts? Are we getting like extra incentive for choosing theirs over someone else's? That can be um, very serious. And we want to watch for those things happening um, and be on, on guard. If we are in a facility and that's our job is to research those things, we want to make sure that we understand that. Now, when it comes to um, compliance programs for physicians, we're going to talk in, in a later podcast about that, um, but we want to know how to establish one. So we encourage you uh, to join us for our next podcast series uh, when we're going to talk about some of the elements of a successful compliance program and how to uh, provide that for our, for our clinic, for our providers, um, and our employees, right? So we're so grateful that you got to join us today. We are so in awe of the response and the support for our podcast here at Life as a Coder. It's always our goal to inspire, to educate. As you know, I always say, knowledge is power. Don't give up on coding, keep learning and keep growing. I've been doing this almost 20 years. I just recently hit my milestone. I took my CCS exam, like I mentioned, and it was such a great thrill to get that pass, <laughs> instant pass paper in my hands. Because I wanted that credential from the beginning, but I was just so scared of it. I didn't have enough confidence in myself I, that I could go through a whole, you know, uh, collegiate program. So I went the other route. I went through my CPC first, did that for so many years. But I do feel like it prepared me, you know, to understand the full revenue cycle. I, I really had a lot of experience over the years doing that. That really prepared me for that test. And so I really enjoyed taking it. So if you have a goal like that and you're scared to, to go down that road, don't be scared. It's, it's doable. Anyone can accomplish anything if they put their minds to it. And I, I really want to tell you not to give up. Keep going. Um, you know, I know this is an expensive career. We've had so many people reach out and talk about how expensive it is, but that is the case. It's rewarding. Um, but if you aren't financially capable at this moment in time of keeping up your career, that's understandable. We are living in difficult times, but if it's something you really want to do, do your best to keep up your credential, even if you're not working in the fields, if that's what you really want to do. Um, and please reach out to me if you have any questions. You know, I try to be as helpful as I can uh, with, with coders. Obviously, I'm only one person. I can't always give you um, tips all the time, but that's why I provide the tips on my podcast so that I can take questions I get and answer them here live for you on this podcast because I want you to get the answers to your questions. Maybe I can lead you down a, a path that you needed to go down. And I want to be there to help you with that. So this has been Jennifer McNamara with Life as a Coder. Thank you to our sponsors, Ozark Coding Alliance, LLC. And a special shout out to our wonderful producer who makes us sound so good, Gabriel Fast with Highland Productions. Thank you as always, Gabe. Until next time.
Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, LLC. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort. It helps us share the show with other coders, students, and professionals just like you. Come back every Monday for a new episode. We'll catch you then. Project Resume can make your medical coding dreams come true. From resumes to interview skills to navigating a successful career, Project Resume has the advice you need from coders you can trust. See all that we have to offer at projectresume.net. Be sure to reference this podcast when you place your order.